Amen. Thank you, choir. And the way we, the way we know who Jesus is and what he was like and what he is like and how he desires for those who belong to him to live is from his word. It's the truth about who Christ is, the truth about who we are. Um, and so we want to go to his word uh, constantly. We want God's word to be the foundation of our lives. And so uh, I encourage you now, if you have your copy of God's word, to open up to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter five, Galatians chapter five. In particular, we're going to be in verses 22 through 24 this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24. There's a reason it says verse 19 on the screen, and uh, I'll talk about that in just a minute. While you're turning there, I need you to finish a sentence for me. You ready? Can you do two things at once? You turn there in your Bible and I, I told you all last, was it last Sunday night, I can't talk and find stuff in my Bible at the same time. I'll be all over the place. But I'm, I'm going to trust that you can do that. So find Galatians, and while you do, finish this sentence. If it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's probably a duck. I knew you knew that. See, you can do two things at once. You ready? All right, so uh, it's probably a duck. Now, if I were to be having a conversation with you and I were to say that phrase, would I be actually talking about ducks? Well, knowing me, I might be talking about ducks, but probably not. I probably wouldn't be talking about ducks. What would I be talking about? I would be saying that someone's way of living and speaking reveal who they really are. In other words, what's on the outside is very often a good indicator of what is on the inside. It's true for a duck, and it's also true for you and me. It's true when it comes to spiritual matters in our lives. Our lifestyle gives evidence of what lies within us. If the Spirit of God has been planted inside of you and me, then our lives will be producing godly, righteous, spiritual fruit. I want to read this passage today. I'm going to read, I want to read actually starting in verse 16. Because we're, we're working through this section uh, in, in, small, in small chunks, and we're kind of breaking it up, I want to make sure that we get this in the context. So today we're going to look at verses 22 through 24. It's really the second half of what we started last week, which is verses 19 through 24. But for our scripture reading, I want to start in verse 16. So if you will, look with me in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, and follow along as I read. This is God's word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we have read your word. And Father, our, our, our request now is that you would, by your spirit, at work within us, open up our hearts and minds to know and understand the truths found in this passage of Scripture. Father, and then we ask that you would help us apply these truths to our lives. And Father, we need your help in that. And so, Father, for the next few moments as we look and examine this passage of your word, Father, please speak through your Holy Spirit into our hearts, into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I said this last week, and I want to say this again. Walking by the Spirit produces Christ-honoring fruit in our lives, which fosters healthy relationships among believers. It's the main idea of this passage of Scripture. Let me say that one more time. Walking by the Spirit produces Christ-honoring fruit in our lives, which fosters healthy relationships among believers. Now, if you remember that Paul is writing this letter to Christians in Galatia, who have been tempted by false teachers to stray away from the true gospel by believing a gospel really of good works. In other words, they've been tempted to believe that if they'll obey the law of God, then God will love them and accept them into his kingdom. But in the first part of the letter, Paul said, no, that's not what the true gospel is. In fact, the true gospel is not about us doing things to earn God's love, It's the truth that God has already loved us. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul says that if we will place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then he will save us. He will justify us. It's not through our good works. But now in this part of this letter, Paul is addressing how Christians, these Christians that he is writing to, and Christians today, are to live as a result of being justified by God's grace especially in regard to how believers in the gospel community called the church are to treat one another. If you'll look back at verses at verse 13 through 15, we saw that Paul said that we are to live in loving service to one another. And then he, he told us in verse 16 through 18 that the way that we're able to do that, because he knew that's difficult, the way that we're able to do that, do that is because of the Spirit inside of us. God's Spirit gives us the ability, the power to overcome the desires of our sinful flesh. And then in verses 19 through 24, Paul explains in more detail exactly what this life look like, looks like. What exactly does the life of someone who has trusted in Christ look like? He began, and we looked at this last week, with a list of what our lives should not look like. In fact, this is this list that we found in verses 19 through 21. It's a list of things that the Spirit of God is destroying in us. And we learned last week that walking by the Spirit destroys sin in you. If you and I are walking by the Spirit each day, then sin will be being destroyed in us. And we have a list of some examples of those sins in verse 19 through 22. But today we want to look at the other side of the coin. If the Spirit is destroying sin in us, well then, what is taking the place of that sin that used to characterize our lives? What do our lives look like when we're walking by the Spirit? And that leads us to truth number two. Truth number two in this passage. So truth number one, we looked at last week, walking by the Spirit destroys sin in you. Truth number two, 
Walking by the Spirit produces righteous fruit in you. Walking by the Spirit produces righteous fruit in you. Notice how Paul begins verse 22. But, but, this is a word of contrast. Your life, after you trust in Christ, should and will look different than than your life did before you trusted in Christ. If there's not a change in your life, then Scripture, I think, would tell us that we have not actually been saved. Now, this change is gradual and and we grow in our walk with the Lord, but there is a change. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But our lives look different. There's a contrast. What do our lives look like? Well, the Spirit of God is producing fruit in us. I want you to notice that phrase, the fruit of God. Of the Spirit. And let me share with you just a, a few quick observations about that phrase, the fruit of the Spirit. Notice that the focus here is not on your work, but the focus is on the Spirit's work in you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, it is produced in you as a believer in Christ, but ultimately it is God who is doing this miraculous work in each of us. If we have trusted Christ, and been justified from our sin. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of our kingdom status. We are adopted children, as Paul has already talked about to the Galatians. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We are true sons in the kingdom. This, this, fruit, this fruit of the Spirit, in, in context of Paul talking about how our relationships are supposed to look in the body of Christ, this fruit of the Spirit encourages fellowship. It encourages healthy community among God's people, whereas the list that we looked at last week actually discourages and even destroys healthy community and healthy relationships in the body of Christ. And notice also that uh, this fruit of the Spirit is fruit in the singular. I don't know, I don't want to read too much into that, but it's obvious that it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And perhaps one of the reasons for that is that all of these things that we're fixing to look at here in verse 22 and 23 are to be being produced in our lives. This list of the fruit of the Spirit is not like gifts of the Spirit. As believers in Christ, we do have different gifts. God has given some of us gifts to serve in the church in one way, and he's given other folks other gifts to serve in the church in other ways. But we can't look at this fruit of the Spirit in the same way. In other words, as we're going through this list and we see something like joy and we say, oh, I'm a, I'm a joyful person. I, I, that's a good one for me. And then we get to a word like patience and we go, oh, I don't really like being patient. I don't think that one's for me. No, it's fruit in the singular. All of these, all of these characteristics are to be being produced in our lives as we walk by. So we don't get to pick and choose what the Spirit produces in us. And one more observation is before we dive into these fruit, this fruit of the Spirit. See, I almost did it. I almost said these fruits of the Spirit. You've got to be careful. Uh, y'all correct me if I say it wrong throughout this message. Uh, so I, I wanted to mention the word righteous. I, I said that this is righteous fruit. Now, we're going to see the word righteous in this passage. The reason I choose to use this word righteous to describe this fruit because when the, is because of this. When the Spirit of God is producing this fruit in our lives, we are going to look more and more and more like Jesus. We'll see as we walk through these that Jesus 
exemplifies these characteristics more than anyone ever has. He is the righteous one. And it's only as his righteousness lives within us by God's grace that we're able to look more and more like Jesus. So let's take a few minutes and let's look at this fruit of the Spirit. There are nine words that Paul uses to describe this fruit of the Spirit that should be being produced in you and I as followers of Christ. And the first word that Paul uses is the word love. Paul uses the word love over a hundred times in his New Testament writings. Do you think it was pretty important to Paul? Do you think it was important for the church? Do you think it's important for our lives as Christians? Do you think the word love is important? Absolutely. He uses it over a hundred times in his writings. And I believe it's listed first in this list because it is the greatest. It is the greatest because it is the foundation for all the other characteristics that Paul lists after love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, Paul said this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, after calling Christians to be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forbearing, and forgiving, Paul says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I believe that love is the foundation because it is that characteristic of God that has resulted in our salvation and transformation. In other words, it's only because God has loved us that we are then able to love others. It's the fruit that when lived out in our lives, I believe, most magnifies to the world the glory of the God who saved us. Our love for others is rooted in God's love for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we find these words. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's God's love having been poured into our hearts that then allows us to love others well. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, earlier in this letter, Paul said this, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying that the life he lives, he's able to live because of who Christ is and the way Christ has loved him. But God's love for us displayed on or through Christ's death on the cross, it not only gives us the ability to love, it also serves as a model for how we are to love. See, the love that the Spirit of God produces in us is a love that loves others the same way that Jesus has loved you and me, sacrificially. When Paul wrote to the, Ephesians, to the Ephesians, he said this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. I think one of the clearest places in the Scripture we find how we are to love one another is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, where John writes, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I wonder, Christian, how, how well you are laying down your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a high standard of love. But because of God's love in us, because of the transformation that his love brings inside of us, we are able, through the Spirit's power, to love one another in this way. 
Martin Luther said of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, he said, it would have sufficed to list only love, for this expands into all the other fruit. In other words, if we can get the love part right, all the other things will just kind of fall into place. And I agree with him, but Paul didn't stop with love. He gave some more things. And so we continue on to, uh, to the second thing that Paul uses, word that Paul uses to describe this fruit of the Spirit. It's the word joy. It's the word joy. A joy... Joy is an interesting thing because I think it gets defined wrongly often in our lives. Joy often gets confused with happiness. And happiness is a feeling, and joy really isn't just a feeling. It could result in some feelings, but it's not in and of itself a feeling. Happiness, like all other feelings, is based on our present, current circumstances. What's going on in in my life around me? Sometimes things are going well and I feel happy. Sometimes things aren't really going my way and I feel sad. I feel hurt or I feel disappointed. For instance, when I'm eating a bowl of ice cream, I feel happy. But then when I look down and the ice cream is gone, I feel sad. Our our feelings, they change. They fluctuate based on our circumstances. But joy is something we experience as Christians no matter what we are facing, because our joy is based on our reconciled relationship with God, which doesn't change amid the changing circumstances of life. Our relationship with the Lord remains constant. And so it's a constant pipeline of joy in our hearts and our lives, regardless of what other circumstances we may be facing. That means we can have joy when we're happy, And we can have joy when we are feeling sad or hurt or disappointed. I want to share with you three definitions of joy, just because I think it's something that just gets defined wrong in our our lives. I want to share with you three definitions. Two I didn't come up with and one I did, okay? And so you can pick which one you like the best and uh, maybe you can try to remember part of it. Um, Douglas Moo said this, Joy is a settled state of mind that arises from a sense of God's love for us produced by the Spirit, and that exists even in the face of difficulties and trials. Another Christian writer said this. His name is Timothy George. He said, Christian joy is marked by celebration and expectation of God's ultimate victory over the powers of sin and darkness, a victory actualized already in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As I was thinking about joy, I I kind of came up with my own definition uh, based on what I was learning, so I'll share that with you. Uh, Joy is that confident, hopeful trust that God loves me, has forgiven me, has secured a place for me in his eternal kingdom, and is working out his good will in my life, no matter what trials I may face. Joy. Joy. Joy remains in the midst of our trials. Joy is rooted in our reconciliation with God. And joy is activated through the work of the Spirit in us. Paul wrote to uh, the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. He said, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word, he's talking about the gospel, in much affliction, affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that produces this joy in us as the Spirit reminds us of who we are in Christ. 
how do you know if the Spirit is producing joy in you? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you spend more time complaining or worrying about your circumstances than you do being content with who you are in Christ despite your circumstances? What would those around you say? Are you marked with a, by a complaining or worrying attitude? Or even in the midst of hurts and difficulties and trials, are you joyful? When there's a lack of joy in the church, we start to complain. And that complaining then leads to arguing. And that arguing can lead to the, to the biting and devouring of one another that Paul warned us against in chapter 5, verse 15. Where he said, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. When we walk by the Spirit, our lives will be characterized by love and joy. Third, peace. Peace. It goes right along with joy. Peace goes right along with joy. F.F. Bruce said this, peace and joy are spiritual twins. Peace and joy are spiritual twins. I like that. We have joy because we're at peace with God. And because our peace with God supersedes our present circumstances, there should never be a moment in our lives as Christians when we're not experiencing joy. But it's not just our peace with God that Paul is talking about here. Remember, this is in the context of how we're to have healthy relationships in the gospel community of the church. You see, our peace with God then overflows into peaceful relationships with one another in the body of Christ. In teaching about what life in God's kingdom looks like, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, Paul said, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And this is the opposite of the quarreling and strife which we saw in the list of the works uh, works of the flesh that we looked at last week. I want to go on to number four. Number four. Number four is, this is a, this is a hard one for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. Okay, it's a hard one. It's the word patience. It's the word patience. Uh, if I were to think about my life before Christ and what God has done in me, um, I would say uh, it's very obvious that that God is at work in me because I can see that I am growing in my patience. And I place the emphasis on growing. <laughs> I have not arrived by any stretch of the imagination. But, but I think about who, who I was before Christ. And then I think if that would have continued, if I continued down that road, this is one of those for me that, is, that just jumps out. And I can see evidence of God's work in my life, but it's at the same time convicting because I know there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Patience. It's the opposite of being short-tempered. We could say it's being long-tempered. Or instead of being having a short fuse, it's having a, a long fuse. In fact, patience is a characteristic of God himself, who in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, revealed himself as being slow to anger. That was God's words about himself. He told Moses, I am slow to anger. Our patience, or, or lack thereof, is revealed oftentimes when things don't go our way or when someone offends us. That's kind of where we're put to the test. Things don't go our way. They're not going the way we had planned or, or not, of course, happening as quickly as we would like them to or, or someone kind of offends us. See, patience goes right along with being forbearing and being forgiving. If we're walking by the Spirit, the Spirit will be helping us overcome our sinful desire to snap back at other people or to our, assert our opinion 
forcefully so that we get our way and so that we get it quickly. Spirit of God at work in you, Christian, is overcoming your selfish desire, your sinful desire to act in that way. And it's producing the beautiful characteristic of patience. Let's continue on to the fifth word that Paul uses. And really, number five and number six go hand in hand with one another. Uh, The fifth word that Paul uses is the word kindness. Kindness. Kindness is simply that attitude in you that wants to do good to someone else. It's that attitude in you that simply wants to do good for someone else. And then if we go to number six, goodness. Goodness is kindness in practice. My my girls have, um, my daughters have a a set of videos that they like to watch. And these videos are really well done. And they they teach uh, truths about the Bible and about God. um, Lots of good theology. And it's it's put in a way that children can understand. And uh, and I like watching them because sometimes it helps me understand some things. And just, uh, they do. And so the other day I was, Letty had one of those videos in. And it just happened to be about the, the fruit of the Spirit. And, uh, and I was washing some dishes and I was listening to her. And, and when they got to the word goodness, I was, kindness and goodness, I, I kind of perked up. And they gave a definition of goodness and I, I kind of liked it. They just said simply that goodness is kindness with work boots on. Goodness is kindness with work boots on. You know, it's one thing to want to do good for somebody. It's another thing to actually do it. And so goodness is when the kindness that's in our hearts through the Spirit actually manifests itself in good deeds towards one another. Kindness and goodness. All these are characteristics that should mark the body of Christ. The watching world should be able to look in in our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ and see us looking for opportunities to be kind, to be good towards one another. The seventh word that Paul uses to describe this fruit of the Spirit is the word faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is simply being reliable, being trustworthy. Again, it's a reflection of the God who has saved us. God is faithful. God keeps His promises. That's one of the things I love about looking at the big picture of God's Word. We go back to the beginning and we, and we trace all that God has said and all that God has done from Genesis all the way to where we're at now and what He's going to do in the future. We see that God is a God who always keeps His Word. He is faithful. He is reliable. and He calls His children to be the same way in our relationships with one another. Can people take you at your word? Can they? Are you faithful? The eighth word Paul uses is another word kind of like joy that I think gets uh, misunderstood a lot. It's the word gentleness. Gentleness. Often when we think of gentleness, we think of someone who is very quiet and doesn't take a stand for things and just kind of sits back and doesn't do a whole lot. They just have a gentle, quiet spirit. They just don't ever... They don't really ever do anything. That's not what the word gentle means. Gentleness is not weakness. It's not weakness. It is not the absence of strength in us, but it's the ability to control our strength for another's good. Again, Timothy George said this about gentleness. He said, the word connotes a submissive and teachable spirit toward God that manifests itself in genuine humility and consideration toward others. 
A lot of times when people think about being gentle, they associate it with being weak. But do you know that the gentlest person that ever walked the planet is also the most powerful person to ever walk the planet? And his name is Jesus. Jesus. There was not an ounce of weakness in his body. He was God most high. And yet he described himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, as being gentle. Gentleness is strength under control, which really leads us into the last word that Paul uses to describe the fruit of the Spirit, which is the word self-control, self-control. And this term usually is, is, is used to refer to um, uh, our, us controlling our sensual passions and sexual desires, but it can refer to all areas of life where we must learn to control the urge to gratify the desires of the flesh. If you think back, if you were to look back, if you were here last week, or if you weren't, just glance back at the list of sins in verses 19 through 21. Self-control really stands in direct contrast to this list of sinful actions. Think about it. A lack of self-control can result in sexual immorality. A lack of self-control can result in fits of rage. A lack of self-control can result in drunkenness and orgies. Those things that Paul warned against in the previous verses. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. These things are to mark our lives as individuals. These things are to mark our lives in the church. And Paul finishes this list by saying, against such things, there is no law. The law stands against us as sinners. However, the law cannot condemn us if God's spirit is in us producing righteousness. Jesus died for our sins. The spirit fights against our sins. And then we are able to choose godliness over sin. And therefore, the law no longer condemns. And while the works of the flesh are things that destroy fellowship among believers, the fruit of the Spirit strengthens fellowship among believers. And this is what our relationships are supposed to look like in the body of Christ. And Paul's not quite finished. After saying that walking by the Spirit destroys sin in you and produces righteousness in you, he ties the way that we are to live back to the heart of the gospel, which is Jesus' death on the cross. Notice with me, truth number three found in verse 24. I'm going to read the verse and I'm going to give you truth number three. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Truth number three, walking by the Spirit manifests Jesus' death in you. Manifest Jesus' death in you. The word manifest simply means to make known. When we walk by the Spirit, what Jesus accomplished on the cross is made known in our lives. This passage is ending on a similar note as it began. Verse 16 said that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then verse 24 says, if you belong to Christ Jesus, you have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. Listen closely. What the Spirit is doing for us on a daily basis is directly connected to what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. What the Spirit of God is doing in you, Christian, on a daily basis is directly connected to what Jesus has already done for you on the cross. 
And it's so important for us to be reminded of this. Because we don't want to look at a list like this and think, well, if I can try a little harder, and I, I think that I could live this way at least, at least most of the time. At least I could do more of these good things than the bad things. And if I do that, then God will love me and accept me. And Paul would say that that, that understanding of this list, no, no, no. That goes against the heart of the gospel and against Paul's whole goal in writing this letter to the Galatians. And we are not saved by our works. Paul's not giving us this list so that we will know how to be saved. He is giving us this list so we will know what our lives should look like once we have been saved. It's so important for us to get that right. And even then, it's not us producing this fruit by ourselves. It's the Spirit of God. It's by His grace that this fruit is produced in us. We must never lose sight of the cross. Remember Paul from Paul's introduction to this letter. Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil age. Jesus died to take away our sins. He laid down his life to make us righteous. And so walking by the Spirit is the way that we daily live out what Jesus already accomplished for us on the cross. Walking by the Spirit is the way our practice falls in line with our position as justified before God. Walking by the Spirit connects our past justification when you were saved, when you trusted in Christ. It connects it with our future glorification. That glorious time when we stand in the presence of Jesus. When the Spirit produces His fruit in us, we give an outward expression of the inward transformation that took place inside of us when God justified us through our faith in Jesus. And we foreshadow, we foreshadow the completion of our salvation when the presence of sin in our lives is fully and finally eradicated. We stand in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, notice what Paul says in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified flesh with its passions and desires. You see, it's not everyone. It's only those who, have, who belong to Christ Jesus. If you don't belong to Christ, if you have not been justified, then trying to put to death sin and trying to produce spiritual fruit will be a losing battle in your life. God demands perfection. And the only one who has perfectly produced this fruitful lifestyle is Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And then he died the death for sin that you and I should die. So that we could be forgiven of our failure to live up to God's standard of perfection. You must place your faith in Jesus first. You must trust in his finished work on the cross to rescue you from your sin. Then and only then will your life begin to produce this fruit that honors God. When our relationships in the church are characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, you know what happens? 
we as the church manifest, we make known the death of Jesus to the world around us. Aren't we called to make disciples of all nations? We do that by proclaiming the gospel with our mouths. And we do that by showing how the gospel has changed us in the way that we treat one another in the body of Christ. Perhaps today you know that you're a Christian and you see evidence in your life that, that hey, God is, God is producing some spiritual fruit. I say praise God. Give Him glory for that. That's good. But perhaps you also say, there's still some room for improvement. Hey, I'm there. I'm there. There's lots of room for improvement. My life, my life there, there's lots of room for more fruit of the Spirit to be being produced in my life. And so maybe even as we read through and studied through this list, this list of the fruit of the Spirit, and perhaps you even are thinking back to this past week, and you said, ah, there was that time this week where I, was, I had a complaining attitude, wasn't living with joy. Maybe there's the time this past week or as, as a Christian you said, I did not act in kindness towards that person. You know what God would tell you? He, he would say, take that to him. Confess that to him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe what you need to do is, is confess that to him and say, God, I know that's not how a child of the king a citizen of the kingdom of heaven should be living. Father, I know that this past week that, that fruit just hasn't been as evident as I know you would like it to be in my life. So, Father, would you help me and would you, would you forgive me of that? And then would you help me produce that spiritual fruit in my life in this coming week? Father, I know I can't do it on my own, but, Father, I'm trusting in your spirit. And I want to cooperate with your spirit. And I, I, want, I want this fruit to be real in my life. That would be a great way, Christian, for you to respond to this passage. Now, there may be one or even more than one of you here today, and you know that you're not producing this fruit, and you know the reason that you're not producing this fruit is because you've never been saved from your sin. You don't belong to Christ. You know that. You know it. There's no evidence of salvation because you have never been saved. And today, God is is working in your heart and life and drawing you to an understanding of who you are. You don't belong to Jesus, but you need to. And so if that's you, then here's what you need to do today. It's you need to repent of your sin. You confess that to God. You turn from it and you ask Him to save you by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Or you trust only in what Jesus has done on the cross to rescue you from your sin. Until, until that happens in your life, you will never be able to produce this fruit that brings honor and glory to God. And so, even right now, if that's you, you can choose to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be rescued from your sin. And God's Holy Spirit will fill you and you will begin to produce this fruit of the Spirit. And I also want to give a word of warning to another category of people. You could be here today, and you know, if you're honest with yourself, there is no evidence of spiritual fruit in your life. I, I don't mean that there's a couple areas that you're struggling in. I mean, there's no evidence. 
of change in your life. There's no but. My life used to look like this, but now by God's grace, I'm different. There's no evidence of spiritual fruit in your life, but the problem is you think you are saved. It's a dangerous place to be. Perhaps you think that you're saved just because sometime in the past you walked down an aisle and prayed with a preacher. Perhaps you think you're saved because you got baptized at some time in your life or, or, or maybe because you joined a church at some time or for any number of reasons. But you've never actually repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. And it's obvious. It's obvious. Because there's never been any change in your life. Never. And you look at your life now and it doesn't look any different than before you say that you were saved. It doesn't look any different than those around you who aren't following Christ. If that's you, then you need to examine your heart and honestly consider whether or not you are saved and have the Spirit of God living in you. Listen, being saved doesn't mean we're perfect. I'm not saying you look at your life and say, well, I'm not perfect. I must not be saved. That's not the point. The point is that if the Spirit of God lives in you, then you will see sin being destroyed in you. You will see evidence of righteous fruit being produced in you. And you will see your life manifesting, giving glory to Jesus, the one who died on the cross for you. Let Jesus' words resonate in your mind. Jesus was talking to a group of people one time who thought they belonged to God, but they really didn't. And this is what he said. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. The fruit of our life gives evidence of whether or not we belong to God's kingdom. What's the garden of your life producing today? What is the garden of your life producing? How would the people you live with and work with describe your life? How would your fellow church members describe your life? How would God who sees and knows everything that we think and do, describe your life. Would people say, hey, she walks like someone filled with the Spirit. She talks like someone filled with the Spirit. She must be filled with the Spirit. Or would people say, he walks like someone filled with the world. He talks like someone filled with the world. You know what? He must belong. He must be filled with the world. There's no option for believers. The Spirit living in us will be destroying sin inside of us if we belong to God. The Spirit in us will be producing righteous living. And the Spirit of God will be manifesting the death of Jesus. Our lives will be honoring Jesus' death. And this individual reality flows in from our individual lives into the life of the church. So here's the thing. As a church... As a church, we want to see this taking place. And this will take place in our community of the church if we're walking by the Spirit. Sin will be being destroyed in our midst. Righteousness will be produced in us as a church. And the sacrifice of Jesus will be made much of. You know how you know a church is filled with the Spirit? All attention is placed on Jesus and what He's done for us on the cross. You know, when this happens, the world will see and be attracted to this gospel that unites us and changes us. And I believe God will see 
and he will be you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we bow before you and we recognize, Father, that even as we look at this list, we realize that we fall far short of your glory. But Father, we thank you that we are not justified because of our works, but because of your grace. And Father, we thank you that you look on us even in eternity past knowing that we would not live the lives that you called us to live, and you have made a way for us to have a right standing with you. And that is through your Son, Jesus Christ. But Father, we thank you also that when you save us, you don't leave us how we were. Father, you change us. Father, you release us from the bondage to sin, and you fill us with your Spirit so that we can begin producing lives that honor you, Begin living lives that honor you, producing fruit that gives glory to you. And Father, we can, we can live in such a way that people can see a change inside of us. So, Father, for, for, for Christians, Father, we pray that you would help us grow in our production of this fruit in our lives as we walk daily by the Spirit, as we fill our minds with your word, as we spend time in prayer as we're faithful in our, in our relationships in the church, Father, we want you to produce this spirit in us in an ever-increasing manner. Father, this, there's someone here today who looks at their life and says, you know what, there's no change. Father, today I pray they would repent of their sins, that they would trust in Christ. And Father, that you would begin that good work of salvation in them today, right here in this place. Father, our prayer is simply this, that we will respond in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.